Welcome to another episode of All Ears Nantucket. My name is Jacob Horton. On today's episode, we're going to say goodbye to one of Nantucket's grand old fishermen. And three, and I'm interviewing Phil Grant today. Um, first of all, you're an Nantucket native, right? This is Betsy Tyler, and I am interviewing Phil Grant. Today is September the 12th, 2013. 12? The Nantucket community recently lost one of its legendary old-timers, Mr. Philip Grant. I'm going to share with you today two interviews housed in the Nantucket Historical Association's Oral History Archive. One of these interviews, as you just heard, was conducted in 2003, the other 10 years later in 2013. Many of the stories that we carry around with us shape who we are. Phil was a Nantucketer, so naturally, Phil's story begins with Nantucket. Well, not quite, just offshore. <laughs> yeah, I think his name was David. He was a sailmaker on a Scottish merchant ship out of Edinburgh, and he was shipwrecked on the old man's shoal. And being a Scotchman, he decided that he'd best wear his best clothing. So he put on his kilts and so forth and swam ashore. It was quite a swim, it was probably 10, 12 miles. But he was a good seagoing guy anyway. And when was that? Oh gosh, I can't tell you the date. It was 1750, somewhere along in there. Well, as I say, he swam ashore in his kilts, and the Indians thought he was some kind of a god. <laughs> but he, he, he squared him away on that after a while. So. And then he, he had sons, and that's how the name was carried on. So tell about, there was Charles, and then your grandfather. Charles was my great-grandfather, and uh, he was a most successful whaling master in the world, no less. Made more money and had, he had his pick of the crews because he was very democratic with them. And uh, he took his, his wife got tired of waiting for him in Nantucket, Nancy Wire Grant. And she uh, jumped a, a merchant ship going to New Zealand because she knew his route. So she was down in, in Auckland waiting for him when he came in. <laughs> and old Charles, I'll tell you, was quite surprised. Guess so. That's a Nantucket woman for you. So she was considered one of the first women to go to sea with her husbands. And did she have babies on board? All three. And then there was my grandfather, George. He was born at Appia, Samoa. My grandmother went ashore and uh, had her child. Some of us carry around stories that we've told many times to friends, to family members, to new people we meet. These are important stories. They tell other people who we are. So I thought it'd be fun to weave together some of the stories that Phil tells in both interviews. They're remarkably similar, and they go back decades. They don't just tell us about Phil and who he was. They tell us what it meant to be an Nantucketer all those decades ago. I started on uh, Orange Street South School, first grade. Mm -hmm. That's when I get, first got into trouble. <laughs> I'm left-handed. In those days, everybody was supposed to use their right hand. And Helen Bartlett was a teacher's assistant at the time to uh, 
Esther Johnson. She was a regular first grade teacher. She came along. She took that. It was a drawing of a little rabbit on gray paper, and we're supposed to color it with white chalk. Well, I'm going at it pretty good. Along come the teacher's helper, and she snapped the thing out of my left hand, put it in my right hand. And she went away. I shifted it back and going on. I'm a genuine southpaw. <laughs> so <laughs> she came back the second time. She yanked it out of my hand and put it in my right hand. The third time she wrapped me with a ruler and I called her an SOB. The third time she wrapped me on the knuckle and I called her an SOB. So they put me in the corner with a dunce cap on. And stuck me in the corner and all the kids are going out for recess. And of course in September, I'm, I'm at the window on the first floor. I'm out the window and down the street, down Orange Street, and at home. My mother wanted to know what the heck, what in hell are you doing at home? Well, I told her, I told her the story. She grabbed me by the nape of the neck hasted me right back up to the school and she went in and she gave the teacher hell. Said, look at here. He's left-handed and he'll stay left-handed. Of course, my mother was left-handed also. <laughs> so I gather you were not a conformist type child. No, very. I've been, always been independent. So Phil was in first grade in the 1920s when the Second World War came along. He was fighting age. As an Antucketer and a son of seaworthy folk, naturally he was in the Navy. He fought in the Pacific Theater. One of his most vivid memories of the war. Where were you when they bombed Hiroshima? God, I gotta stop to think. I was somewhere between, between the Philippines and, and, Japan? and Japan. Yeah. Right. Did you go on shore? I went up to Hiroshima. We were we were making a beachhead at Curie. It was all the colleges and schools. Mm -hmm. and it was a, a big round basin. It was practically surrounded with uh, mountains. So how far were you from where the bomb was dropped when you went on shore? Well, we went on up. Oh, you went up there. We uh, took a landing barge mm -hmm. and went up the river to Hiroshima. And what did it look like? It was devastation. Everything was clean as a whistle. You could see where a telephone pole had left its shadow right on the concrete. We went into the what was a, a bank building and had a beautiful great big cement bowl in the front yard and a great big concrete thing that was a safe. There was no doors on it. They steel pulverized. That disappeared in the bomb. But concrete lasted. That's amazing. Steel disappeared. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. 
It melted away, just disintegrated. We went into these buildings, up and down. The uh, bathrooms and all the porcelain was completely gone, pulverized. The only stuff was there was the concrete mm -hmm. of the foundations and, and the walls and so forth. And this was a baby bomb. God. What did you think when you saw that? Well, I was kind of flabbergasted, truthfully, to think that it could happen that way. When you see a shadow on a thing, uh, on a concrete road, it was nothing but a shadow, because shadows evidently they were, didn't get ruined. Wow. <laughs> How long were you there for? Just one day. Just one day? Mm -hmm. Just one day. Yeah, we went back down the river. And this was just a couple months afterwards, after the bombing? Yeah, about that, yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. It's just hard to imagine what that must have felt like oh, to, I know. to see that. And so were there people on the outskirts of the area? There were lots of people around. Uh, they looked like they were... Just, they, they look worn out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. After the war, Phil returned to what he knew best, Nantucket, and fishing. He ran a fish market, and he opened a clam bar. He ran it with his daughters. I'll tell you, it was quite successful. <laughs> so you caught them and you sold them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do both at once. That's what I found out. I thought I could go out and catch some flounders and just come in and sell them. But you worked there. I, my sister yeah. and I ran it. Oh, they, so, they, uh -huh. they, they practically ran the place. You started at I didn't have time. Right, you were downstairs. They were up, and we liked <laughs> to eat. <laughs> so we gave we gave good food. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. lobsters, lobster rolls with no stuffing, just. Mayonnaise and a little bit of lettuce, you know, they if did they wanted it. I took care of the, the children. We used to make, my sister and I used to work eight hour shifts, and we would end up getting 20 to $25 each on tips. That's how crazy and busy it was. That was, that's, that was, that was good. Back then, it, yes. In the 60s, you lucky if you got a quarter. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, yeah, yeah we, we did it, but it was all paper plates and stuff, which was good. Just throw away, it was just a clam bar. What was it, did it have a name? They part of Nantucket Seafood. Nantucket Seafood. Yeah. is part of it. It was a yeah. clam bar. That in fact, we, we incorporated. Nantucket Seafoods, Inc. Yep. <laughs> How long did you run that business? We had it 15 years till Bud Barnicky kicked us out. That was Mr. Barnicky? Yeah, Bud. <laughs> I always called him Bud. I, mean, I never could go over that did you, stuff. What did you think of all the changes he made? I hated him, really. He, well, now I don't want to go talking about black bad mouth in him, so we just won't say. 
Um, what? You've seen the Allen change a lot. Are there some things you really like and some things you really dislike? There's no use to say dislike because it's going to happen anyway. It's inevitable. Everybody wants a little piece of Nantucket. You're close to the New York or Boston. And if you can have a place in Nantucket to fall back on, if things get really bad, this is going to be one of the last places it'll bother. We hope. A little old sandbar? <laughs> Good luck. Who would waste any ammunition on it? I never had the opportunity to meet Phil Grant personally. I got to know him through these two interviews. Believe me, there's a lot more to those interviews than what I shared here today. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to Phil and his family for sharing their time and sharing their stories with the Nantucket Historical Association. The full interviews are available at the archive on Fair Street, and they're available online at nha.org. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Jacob Horton, and I hope you'll join me again on another episode of All Ears Nantucket. Goodbye, Phil.